0: Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 15 through 24 to begin with, reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Paul is writing, But when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before the Almighty that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which He once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying the Almighty because of me. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. Today we will finish studying the first chapter in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And I am reminded, and so I'm going to stir up your minds by way of reminder I'm reminded of how much a person will learn if he or she decides to study an entire book of the Bible in its historical context, also in its literary context. You know, I see Bible verses flung around all the time. And I'm not saying that you should stop quoting Bible verses individually. I think there's some good one-liners in the Bible. Proverbs has a ton of them. But a large majority of the time, what I see and hear are Bible verses quoted out of context in order to fit the motive or the view of the person that is quoting the verse. And sometimes we do it without even realizing it because it's something that we heard. And we believe we heard it from this certain person, so we must be able to quote it the same way and everything will be okay. But we forget the 2020 rule, that's what I like to call it, where you have biblical 2020 vision. Where with any verse that you read, you read 20 verses before it and you read 20 verses after it. Amen? That's the 20-20 rule. So if you desire to handle the scriptures accurately, and if you want to be faithful to the original intent of the biblical authors, then you're going to have to take the time to let go of what you think you know and dig into the books of the Bible as a whole. Now whenever I study books like I've been doing and like we've been doing here as a congregation, the book of Galatians, I find out every time that some of the things that I thought that I knew, I really didn't know. Some of the things I believe that certain verses taught weren't really teaching anything close to that. And you know what? It's a humbling experience. Yahweh knows how to humble us and show us. Matthew, I know you thought you knew this, but you really didn't know it, so now I'm going to slap you upside the forehead. And humble you a little bit. And then we become more compassionate upon people that maybe not don't understand everything, you know, all at one time. You know, when I plant, I, I love to garden. Garden is therapeutic for me. When I plant seeds, I planted some watermelon seeds this year. And those watermelons, now they're, they're starting. They're about this big. When I plant those seeds, I don't go out the next day and curse the ground because I don't see any watermelons. I don't go out the next month and curse the ground because I don't see any watermelons. You know why? Because I know, as all farmers do, that it takes time for the fruit to grow from the seed. Sometimes I think we forget that when we deal with people in life. We forget that just because we planted a seed doesn't mean that growth will be overnight, but that it will take time. So let us remember that. And let us be humbled. If we need to be humbled, I pray Yahweh humbles us. I think we all need more humility. I really do. And only Yahweh's Holy Spirit can move your heart and your mind to stop desiring what you want and begin to desire what He wants. So, I could teach an entire message on diligent Bible study, but we've got to finish chapter 1 today in Galatians. So let's get to it. We ended last week talking about the purpose of Yahweh revealing His Son in Paul. It was so that Paul could preach the Son to the nations. Now, these nations, some Bibles say Gentiles' nations, these nations outside of the land of Israel, these nations were not considered part of Israel. They weren't. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2 verse 11 says, they were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. And it was because of this. The people in these nations did not grow up serving the mighty one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These nations did not grow up in Hebrew culture, but mostly in Greek culture of the known world at that time, in countries outside of the land of Israel. It is definitely true that there were lost sheep of Israel scattered in these Grecian nations. But because they were divorced and scattered by Yahweh, they were not considered to be citizens of Israel. They were considered to be what? Part of the nations. The nations outside the land of Israel are the Gentiles. So Paul was commissioned to preach the Son to the nations. Not that he never preached to the Yehudim or the Judahites. He did. But he was commissioned specifically to preach the Son to the nations. And he proclaimed that they too, along with the Hebrew Judahites could be forgiven of their sins and justified before Yahweh through faith in Yeshua of Nazareth as the promised Messiah. Now, did Paul consult anyone? Here in Galatians 1, after Paul writes this in verse 16 about being revealed the Son, he continues by saying that when he received this revelation, he did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. And that's a bit peculiar. This is why. Because as we've been studying Saul's former life and his encounter with Yeshua on the road to Damascus, we know that the very first thing that he did was go to Damascus and meet a man named Hananiah, or most know him as Ananias. And Ananias was definitely flesh and blood. Yeshua even sent Ananias to Saul and told Ananias some things to say to Saul and instruct Saul in. He laid his hands on Saul, Saul regained his physical sight. Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul was baptized by Ananias. So Ananias was instructing Saul, and Ananias was definitely a human being. He was definitely flesh and blood. So why does Saul write here in Galatians that he did not immediately consult with flesh and blood? This is why I believe that he wrote that. Number one, the answer is found in the word consult in verse 16. And number two, The answer is found in his mentioning the apostles in Jerusalem in verse 17. Look at verses 16 through 17 together. It reads, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So Paul's point in bringing up no consulting with flesh and blood is a focus. What he's doing is he's focusing on not having to go and see the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem in order to get the meaning of the vision that he received on the road to Damascus. That's what he means when he said, I did not consult with flesh and blood. It's contextually meaning I did not have to ask anybody about what the vision was all about because it was crystal clear. Yeshua told me clearly what he was doing, what I was doing was wrong, and what I needed to do hereafter. I think that's what Paul's saying. Yahweh revealed his son in Saul, and Yeshua then told Saul what to do and where to go. Saul did not immediately consult with anyone, specifically the apostles who were in Jerusalem before him, but Acts 9, verse 20, tells us what he immediately did. It says that he immediately preached Yeshua in the synagogues, and we're talking about the synagogues of Damascus, where he was at. He immediately preached Yeshua that he was the son of Yahweh. So, in Galatians 1.17, Paul writes that he went to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Now, I want you to notice the contrast here in this verse. Notice the contrast. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Then he says, I went away to Arabia and Damascus. See the contrast? So, when he's talking about I didn't consult with flesh and blood, he's talking about I did not go up to Jerusalem, to the primary city, to the holy city. This shows that the focus is not consulting with the Jerusalem apostles. Now, if you can follow along here, here we have a map. And in Acts 9, verses 1 through 2, we know that Saul got letters from the high priest, and that would be right down here in the Judean area of Jerusalem. And then he traveled all the way up through the land of Israel And somewhere on this journey, he was struck down by Yeshua. Blinded by a great heavenly light. Then he went to Damascus. This is where he met Ananias and got baptized. He immediately went to the synagogues and preached Yeshua. And then Arabia. Arabia would be, this is probably the area of Arabia that he went in. But Arabia would be not just up here, but anywhere east of the land of Israel and even down south as well. But this is probably where Saul went and then back to Damascus. That kind of gives you a little bit of an idea on the map. So in Acts chapter 9, we see that his time spent in Damascus was time spent preaching about Yeshua. Acts 9 20, immediately he preached the Messiah in the synagogues. But what about Arabia? What did Saul do in Arabia? Well, the text does not tell us what he did in Arabia. If you read the commentaries and the scholars, there are all sorts of ideas that they come up with about Paul's time spent in Arabia. Some people say that Paul spent three years in the desert doing nothing but listening to Yeshua speak to him. But the text doesn't say that. The text does say in Galatians 1.18 that after three years... He went up to Jerusalem, but that three-year time period was spent in both Arabia and Damascus. And probably it was spent most in Damascus because if you read the historical account in Acts chapter 9, it's all about Damascus. After he visits Ananias, he preaches in the synagogues, and then the Judahites, they're upset, and they try to get rid of him. He even has to be let out of a window and down with a basket to get away one time. So, I mean, this is, this is better than anything you see on TV, right? So, the text doesn't tell us what Paul was doing in Arabia, so I'm not going to add to the text. We only know that he spent some time there as well, in, as, well as in Damascus, about a three-year period. Now, the main point of verses 16 through 17 is this. Paul wants the recipients of his letter, the Galatian assembly, to realize that he did not consult with the apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem. He did not confer with the men who personally knew Yeshua. Why does he bring this up? Well, his purpose in bringing this up is to make sure that the Galatians, again, realize that he did not get his message. He did not get his gospel from the former apostles, the apostles before him. He got his gospel directly from Yeshua in heaven. Now, Paul is not against the apostles. Don't read this and think Paul is against the former apostles. That's not Paul's point. He is only showing that he did not receive the gospel from the apostles. Remember in Galatians 1 verse 12, he says, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. So Paul is proclaiming his authority here. You want to know where I get my authority? I get it from who taught it to me, from the Master. That's how authority was established in those days. Who was your teacher? Who showed you these things? Who did you learn from? Paul's answer was not, well, I learned from James, or I learned it from Peter, or I learned it from John, the pillars. No, Paul's answer was this. Yeshua knocked me down and showed this to me directly. I had an encounter with the risen Master, and my life has been changed completely and totally. He knocked me down so I would be sent to preach to the nations. That's why I came to Galatia initially. We went over that in Acts 13. That was Paul's first trip to Galatia. Paul says, that's why I'm so upset. In Galatians 1 about those who have come behind me and made an attempt to distort or add to the gospel of the Messiah. Because I got this gospel from Yeshua, those who are trying to distort what I've said are not fighting me. They're fighting the Master. That's his point. Now, Saul does meet Peter and James. After his stay in Arabia and Damascus, verses 18 through 19 tell us that three years later, he went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, what's interesting here is that the phrase used in the New American Standard Bible, become acquainted with, is great, and it's spot on from, from the Greek because Paul uses this term here that doesn't mean that he went to Cephas, which, by the way, before I get into this, by the way, Cephas is Peter's Aramaic name, Kepha. It means rock, okay? In in Greek, the word rock is, I think it's Petros, something like that. So he was that's when he says Cephas, he's talking about Kepha. Um, he did not go to see Kepha to get any instruction about his vision. That's not why he went to see Kepha. That's not why he spent 15 days with Kepha. He he spent 15 days with Kepha to become acquainted with him. Beautiful phrase there. It would be like if I said, I'm going to visit with one of you brothers, and you know we had coffee and we spent a few days together. And that doesn't mean we didn't talk about the scriptures, but... The purpose is not that Saul is saying, I needed to understand what the vision meant, so I had to go ask Cephas. That's not what Paul's saying. I just went to become acquainted with him. And then he also mentions that he saw James or Yaakov. James was not the name of that apostle. I know we call him James and people understand James, but that's not the name of the apostle. His name is Yaakov, and, and that's just what he was called. Okay, we may say Jacob with the English J. Now, the reason he visited with Yaakov was not to interpret the vision either. He didn't ask Yaakov, what does that vision that I saw mean? No, he already knew what the vision meant. He went for the reason that the text tells us, to become acquainted with two of the Messianic leaders in Jerusalem. Two of the original guys. Think about it. Kepha was a direct disciple and apostle of the Master. He was given the keys to the kingdom by the Master himself. And Yaakov was the brother of Yeshua. And when I say brother, I don't mean like me and brother Ron. I call brother Ron, we're brothers in the faith. When I say that Yaakov was the brother of Yeshua, I mean he was actually the brother of Yeshua. Like if you have a, have a brother. Now, he was either the son of Joseph through another wife, or he was the son of Joseph and Miriam after Mary bore Yeshua. So you don't get any closer to to Yeshua than Yaakov. Paul is showing that he's not against these guys. I went to visit them. I went to become acquainted with them. I didn't see any of the other apostles except these two guys. But I went to get to know these guys. Not get to know them in my former way of thinking, but now that I'm a believer in Yeshua, I want to get to know them you know, better. So, he does consult with these leaders. You're going to see in Galatians chapter 2, when we get to chapter 2, that Saul, Paul, does consult with the leaders in Jerusalem to make sure that he's not preaching anything wrong. We're going to see that. So, he's not against the leadership in Jerusalem. He goes to the elders and he has the multitude of counsel there and all of that, that's great. But he brings them up in passing in chapter 1 for what reason? to show the Galatians that he did not get his message from them. That's why he just mentions them in passing, I become acquainted with them. You guys at Galatians, you need to understand what you're falling this error you're falling into, you're rejecting what the master showed me directly from heaven. I didn't get it from the apostles, I got it from Yeshua. Yeshua is the one who sent Saul to preach to the nations, and he would preach to them that they could be forgiven of their sins through faith in the Messiah, without becoming one of the Yehudim or the Judahites through proselytization, through ritual circumcision. They could be forgiven without that. Then in verse 20, Paul gives an oath. Paul says, I assure you before the Almighty that I'm not lying. And I think he's just adding some more fuel to the fire here. That is a solemn oath that he takes in Galatians 1.20. He isn't only telling them he's not lying but he is swearing before the Almighty that he is not lying. Swearing oaths is a very common Hebraic practice. The book of Deuteronomy even commands us to swear by the name of Yahweh and take our oaths to Yahweh. We're not to swear by heaven or by earth or on a stack of Bibles or on my mother's grave. We're not to do that. That's what the Pharisees were doing. But it is okay to swear by Yahweh and then make sure that you keep that oath or that vow that you make to Yahweh. And that's what Saul is doing here in verse 20. Now, as we finish out chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, after Paul had a visit with Kepha and Yaakov, he goes into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, which is closer up there to Damascus. But he wants his readers to know at this point that he was still unknown by sight to the assemblies in the Messiah in Judea. And he's continuing, this is what he's doing here, he's continuing to point out to the Galatians, that he had yet to build a tight brotherhood with the congregations around the area of Jerusalem. And his whole reason in doing this is simply to say, that's not where I got my message. I got my message from the Master. And the Judean assemblies in the Messiah did not know Saul of Tarsus by face. They knew about him. They knew that he was a great persecutor of the Messianic faith. They knew that, but they were saying, as he was unknown by sight, they were saying, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. So Saul's testimony was getting around. That's what they were hearing. The man that no one thought would ever be stopped, he stopped. But he did not stop because somebody persuaded him to stop, at least here horizontally. He stopped because he had a vertical experience. Yeshua persuaded him to be stopped. Didn't really persuade him. It just knocked him down and blinded him. And told him, said, look, you're going the wrong way. I've chosen you. You're a chosen vessel. And I want you to do this. And this is what you're going to do. This made the assemblies of the Messiah thankful. Do you know how thankful we would be if there was a great persecutor of people that believe like we do and would murder people that believe like we do? And then we found out that that person that was persecuting brothers and sisters in our faith had converted over to believe the way that we believe, how thankful would you be? Well, they were thankful. Verse 24 says, and they were glorifying the Almighty because of me. That was a great topic, I believe, of the conversation in the synagogues on the Sabbath amidst the brothers and sisters and the Messiah. Did you hear about Shaul the Pharisee? He changed. He's one of us now. And the other brother would say, no way there's no way that could be true are you serious and then the first guy would say absolutely he's a believer now we keep hearing about the one that tried to destroy us is now preaching what we preach and he even visited a little bit with Kepha and Yaakov which shows he's one of us he stayed with Kepha for 15 days and he saw the brother of the master Yaakov so it was the talk of the town and what an exciting thing to talk about Shaul had been saved from his life of persecuting through faith in Yeshua. And he had been commissioned by Yeshua to preach this message, this good news to the nations. So as I conclude in this last lesson in chapter 1, I want to give an exhortation to everybody here today and anybody listening by whatever method or way. That is the end of chapter 1, which means we're about one-sixth of the way through the epistle. But I would like to leave you today with a word of application and exhortation. We've talked a lot about the good news, the glad tidings. Your Bible says the gospel. The reason I've talked a lot about it is because this chapter has talked a lot about it. It's told us that there's a curse upon anyone that distorts the good news of the Messiah. That means it's got to be very important. We're going to continue to talk a lot about the good news. You know why? Because Galatians talks a lot about the good news. One thing I want you to keep in your mind is that the gospel is where you find your identity. That's where you find it. The gospel is where you find who you are. And what I mean by this is that people will judge you in all sorts of ways. Just like the Judahites were judging those from the nations because they weren't raised as Hebrews and they were uncircumcised. You know that's what the book of Galatians is all about. The Judahites were saying, because you're not one of us ethnically, you have no right to salvation. The only way you can be saved is to become one of us, and we've got a way that you can become one of us. It's through proselyting, through ritual (laughs) circumcision. Not necessarily even Abrahamic circumcision as I've preached on, but circumcision the way that we say it has to happen. People today will judge you by your social status, by who your family is or isn't, or by what problems or struggles that you have. People look down on you. They will look down on you because of all sorts of things that have happened in your past life. They will look down on you because of all things that are happening now in your present life. But here is the good news. If you are in the Messiah, if you are His brother, if you are part of the family of Yahweh, That is enough. It doesn't matter what anybody says about you, what anybody says about your past, what anybody says about your family, what anybody says about where you came from or who you are. If you're in the Messiah, that is enough for your salvation. You don't have to worry about what you've done in your past. If anybody had a past to worry about, it was was Saul. I could imagine nightmares waking up thinking, good God, grief what did I do to brother Stephen when I stood by there and I didn't stop the men that threw stones at him and he had committed no crime all he did was believe that Yeshua was the Messiah and I consented to his stoning and I imprisoned men and women that believed in the Messiah and I put to death many people that probably woke him up brothers and sisters look if you are anything like me there are things that you have done in your life that sometimes they come to your remembrance and you get to feeling terrible because of what you've done in your past. If you're in the Messiah, Yahweh has thrown all that as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember those transgressions anymore. And so I have to remind myself, Matthew, you can't keep bringing up the past because Yahweh doesn't do that. You've repented. You're in Christ. You're in His Son. If you're repentant over your sins and you profess faith in the Son of Yahweh, you know the Bible says you're a joint heir with Yeshua of Nazareth. Everything that He inherits, you inherit because you're joined to Him. That's a lot of inheritance, brothers and sisters. It's a big inheritance. And it is your faith in Him that makes you belong to Him. Listen, brothers and sisters, John chapter 1 verse 13 says that the children of Yahweh are not those who were born by blood, by the will of the flesh, or by the will of man, but those who were born from above by Yahweh. That's what makes you a child of Yahweh. Your identity is found in the gospel, not in who you are physically, but in who you are in Christ, who you are in the Messiah. Yeshua loves you and you don't need to fret about what someone says to you that says you're not good enough. You don't qualify. You don't pass muster because of X, Y, or Z. You can't be part of the family. You don't look the part. You don't look right. You don't got the last right last name. You don't got the right ancestry. If you're in the Messiah, that's all that matters. That's the gospel. Anything else is a distortion of that gospel. So let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, I praise you, and I worship you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for sending us your son. Thank you for revealing him to Saul. And thank you for our great brother Saul that preached your son to the nations Yahweh I pray that we would be able to exhibit that same faith in the Messiah as those in Galatia did there in Acts 13 when they begged Saul and Barnabas come back the next Sabbath keep preaching to us we want to hear it we want to listen about this man from Nazareth we want to hear about it and what he's done Yahweh open hearts and open minds thank you so much through your son I pray